This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, February 8th. I'm Rachel Del Judas. And I'm Kate Trinko. Today we'll feature my interview with Kristen Hawkins, president of Students for Life, about what pro-life activism looks like for high schoolers and college students. Plus, we'll chat about a new interview by celebrities Justin Bieber and Haley Baldwin about why they chose to wait for marriage. But first, we'll cover a few of the top headlines. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat of New York, introduced her Green New Deal Thursday. Today is a big day for people who have been left behind. Today is a big day for workers in Appalachia. Today is a big day for children that have been breathing dirty air in the South Bronx. Today is a really good day for families who have been enduring the injustices of drinking dirty water or who have seen their living rooms being flooded in with the waves of flooded in with the, with the waves of uh, rising sea, sea levels. And today, I think, is a really big day for our economy, the labor movement, the social justice movement, indigenous peoples, and people all over the United States of America. Because today is the day that we truly embark on a comprehensive agenda of economic, social, and racial justice in the United States of America. That's what this agenda is all about. Because climate change, climate change and our environmental challenges are one of the biggest existential threats to our way of life. Well, the Green New Deal is chock full of ambitious provisions, among them, quote, high speed rail at a scale where air travel stops becoming necessary. Uh, Look forward to uh, the rail to Europe and, quote, upgrade or replace every building in U.S. for state of the art energy efficiency. The price tag unknown. Well, freshman New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is not one of the eight Democrats that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi placed on a new special climate change committee, despite the fact that Ocasio-Cortez released her Green New Deal Thursday to address climate change. Ocasio-Cortez said Pelosi did invite her to sit on the committee, saying during a press conference Thursday, quote, so I don't think this is a snub. I don't think it's anything like that. On Wednesday, Pelosi told Politico of the Green New Deal, quote, It will be one of several or maybe many suggestions that we receive. The Green Dream, or whatever they call it, nobody knows what it is, but they're for it, right? In tweets Thursday, President Donald Trump accused House Democrats of harassing him. He wrote, So now Congressman Adam Schiff announces, after having found zero Russian collusion, that he is going to be looking at every aspect of my life, both financial and personal, even though there is no reason to be doing so. Never happened before. Unlimited presidential harassment. The Dems and their committees are going nuts. The Republicans never did this to President Obama. There would be no time left to run government. I hear other committee heads will do the same thing, even stealing people who work at White House, a continuation of witch hunt, end quote. Schiff, who is chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, announced earlier this week an expansion of what his committee would be investigating the president and the administration on. The Senate Judiciary Committee has advanced the nomination of Attorney General nominee William Barr, placing the nomination in the hands of the Republican-led Senate, where Barr is expected to be confirmed. Barr previously served as attorney general under President George H.W. Bush. 
who died in November. Senator Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat from Connecticut, said he will vote no on Barr because Barr has, quote, not committed to making special counsel findings public and not committed to public testimony from Mueller, end quote, Fox News reported. Barr has said, however, that he believes that special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation looking into Russia's influence in the 2016 election should be completed, saying during his January hearing, quote, I believe it is in the best interest of everyone, the president, Congress, and most importantly, the American people, that this matter be resolved by allowing the special counsel to complete his work. Senator Kamala Harris, Democrat of California, is calling for a look into Vanessa Tyson's accusation that Democratic Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax of Virginia sexually assaulted her in 2004. Here's what Harris said via CNN. Letter written by the woman um, reads as as a credible um, account, and I think there should be an investigation to get to the bottom of it and determine the facts. The National Organization for Women has announced it believes Fairfax should resign, with the organization's president, Tony Van Pelt, saying in a statement that Tyson's story is horrifying, compelling, and clear as day, and we believe her. Fairfax denies he assaulted Tyson. Well, amid the uproar over revelations that Virginia Governor Ralph Northam and Virginia Attorney General Mark Herring admit wearing blackface in the past, a clip of The View's Joy Bear has been making the rounds. It was a Halloween party. I went as a beautiful African woman. Oh, yes, you ain't black. But that's my hair. <laughs> that's my hair. That, you can be, yeah, but it is. So, uh, so the whole point of it is that curly hair is coming back. I thought that was, I thought. That is me. Did you have tanning lotion on, Joe? A little, I had makeup that was a little bit darker uh-huh, than my skin. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's very fixed. But I have, that's my actual hair. Bear has not commented on a picture of her that was found this week wearing blackface, Fox News reported. And, of course, that uh, clip that we just played was from 2016. So there's no appetite for abortion extremism, according to a new poll by Rasmussen, which found that only 21 percent of Americans want a law in their states like the third term abortion bill New York State just passed. In fact, 44 percent of pro-choicers would oppose a law like New York's, according to the poll. Trump, speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast Thursday, alluded to the issue of abortion. Building a just and loving society, we must build a culture that cherishes the dignity and sanctity of innocent human life. Next up, we'll feature my interview with Kristen Hawkins about abortion and what millennials and Gen Z really think. Do you own an Alexa? You can now get the Daily Signal podcast every day as part of your daily flash briefing. It's easy to do. Just open up your Alexa app, go to settings, and select flash briefing. From there, you can search for the Daily Signal podcast and add it to your flash briefing so you can stay up to date with the top news of the day that the liberal media isn't covering. Okay, well, joining us today is Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life of America. Kristen, first off, can you tell me why are you personally pro-life? Well, I mean, that's a very good question. I think it's one that a lot of times some people struggle with, right? Is they think, well, of course I'm pro-life, duh. Well, I mean, fundamentally, I'm pro-life and we are you know, a pro-life movement because we believe at the moment of conception, a unique, whole, living human person has come into being that's never existed before and will never exist again. And we believe that human person has the same rights as other human persons. That's why I'm pro-life. Okay. 
So tell me about Students for Life. What do you do? How does your organization work? Sure. Well, Students for Life is the nation's largest pro-life youth organization. We go on the offensive on college and high school campuses. We have more than 1,200 groups that we currently serve. We go to campuses in all 50 states and we start groups and we help young leaders um, lead on their campuses to transform their campuses, to change policies on their campuses, to be places of help and healing for those who are personally going through a crisis pregnancy, those who've already gone through a crisis pregnancy and maybe chosen abortion. We're also there on the front lines training students to to talk to their peers about this issue because this is where the abortion industry targets. Um, This is where they're at is is young people. You know, 79% of Planned Parenthoods are five miles from a college campus. So tell me a little bit about what what would a student do to make their particular college campus or high school more pro-life? What are some specific sure. initiatives they could do? Well, first you start a Students for Life group so I can help you. <laughs> Duh. Okay, studentsforlife.org. Uh, two, I think what you have to do is take a look at what's going on in your campus. What are the actual policies in your campus? Um, what happens if a pre- girl gets pregnant on campus? Does she get kicked out if you're a Christian high school? You would be surprised. Um, is there place for her to live or does she get kicked out of the dorms because she's pregnant um, is there a flexible class schedule what what can you actually do and what's going on your campuses that's we kind of have a scavenger hunt at students for life it's our pregnant on campus resource guy and we give it to students and we say go find out all the resources and support and sometimes on campus there's a lot more support than you actually think exists it just there's no marketing for those resources so the first step is kind of doing an inventory figuring out what your campus provides to those who are in crisis uh who might be parenting, uh, and then to get those get those resources, that information out to the campus to either change policies that are bad or promote policies or promote resources that are there. The the other thing you've got to do is you have to start talking about abortion. You know, you have to become that annoying person who. Everyone knows is the pro-lifer who's got the pro-life bumper stickers on the car, wears the pro-life T-shirts, puts the pro-life posters on their door. Talk about abortion because when we talk about abortion, we win. And you know this is a discussion that's going on your campuses. And so often, you know, what we find with the abortion movement is they just want to silence you. They just want to shut you up. They just don't want to have a conversation about abortion. I mean, how many times have you been in, like in a conversation with someone's like, I don't, we're not talking about that today. Well, why not? This is the greatest human rights tragedy our world has ever known. Of course we should be talking about it. Um, and so I think those, that those are two very practical things. Just start talking about it in your classes, with your friends, uh, and then start looking around to see what's, what's actually available on your campus and what needs to change or what should be promoted. And I have to say, I, um, I've i actually struggled with whether to put a pro-life bumper sticker on my car <laughs> sometimes because I cut people off. Sorry. But <laughs> I mean, true. also, if you're a really bad driver, don't put pro-life bumper sticker in your car because people are going to remember that, right? Like, right. That crazy pro-life person cut me off. Right. No, for the most part, I'm a good driver. But uh, <laughs> no, but I, anyway, I think it's interesting because, you know, I struggle with being bold and I'm much older than a lot of the students and students for life, obviously. And I'd be curious, what kind of feedback do you get? Like, I mean, the thought of wearing a pro-life um, t-shirt on a college campus that is not a Christian college <laughs> seems like a very bold move. Well, actually, sometimes in a Christian college, it's even bolder. It oh, well. uh, depends on the campus. I mean, sometimes these campuses, Christian col- college campuses can be actually more terrifying uh, and more scary. Uh, than a secular college where you would kind of expect that behavior. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is hard, you know, and, and work your way up to it, you know, baby steps. I, you know, I was talking to a group of women today and I said, you know, change your profile pic, you know, put a, I am pro-life, you know, get one of our I am the pro-life gen signs in the March of life. 
take a picture of yourself with it and put it in your pro as your profile picture. You know, share a, a profile of a pro-life person or someone's done something incredible in your community to support pregnant and parenting women. Start kind of talking about it on your own digital media um, because, trust me, if you have relatives who aren't in line with your views on abortion, they're going to let you know. <laughs> you can start having a respectful conversation and and just kind of do as baby steps. You know, social media, I think, is like the easiest thing. Uh, then, you know, put it on your car and don't be a jerk driver. Um, then, you know, put wear a T-shirt. Um, and, and along the way, get yourself educated because I often find, too, that I mean, we obviously know we're the majority, but then people don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think people don't talk about it because it's this fear of like, what if someone asks me a question? I don't know how to respond to it or I don't know the best answer. So, you know, at Students for Life, we do a lot of apologetics training. So pro-life apologetics, like how do you talk about abortion? How do you defend abortion? You know, we go through the biology and the philosophy. And so, you know, if you start a Students for Life group, we'll help you. There's other resources. We partner with a group called Equal Rights Institute uh, that has a great online training program that will walk anybody of all anyone of all ages, right, uh, through pro-life apologetics. Because I feel like once you start uh, to digest that information, um, you're going to feel more confident, more bold. I mean, the, the easiest way to start is um, Ben Shapiro has a great show in his podcast where he debunks all the, you know, hard things, you know, when you hear hard cases you hear when you're debating abortion. Just listen to Ben's show um, because I think that will help help you and help anyone. He's a great advocate. So do you find that most of the students in Students for Life, did they grow up in pro-life families or are they converts? Is it a mix? How does that shake out? I think it's kind of a mix. We've never actually polled our membership on this. Um, I do think a lot grown up in a Christian home. Now, whether or not that was a Christian home that spoke openly about abortion, I would say most of the students, you know, their parents never really talked about abortion, but maybe they were passively pro-life. We actually do, though, get a lot of converts of students who their parents do not agree uh, with their views on abortion. And it and it shows you kind of the difference of the generations and how the generations view abortion, honestly. I mean, if you think about you know, how we talk about abortion. We talk about abortion as a human rights violation uh, and and it's violence. Um, and that resonates with a lot of millennials, no matter like what kind of background or, or family structure they grew up with. Okay. Well, so you mentioned that you also work on high school campuses. We're seeing the millennials are dying out. Gen Z is coming. They're there in high We're school. We're dying out. We're just well, getting not older. Dying out. We're just older. getting older. older. Just Same diff yeah. though. <laughs> That feels like that maybe some days. <laughs> um, anyway, they're no longer the cool yes, young yes. generation. Mm-hmm. Um, are you noticing anything particularly different between sure. the generations? Or are things changing? Yeah, I mean, we are taking notice of Gen Z. This year, the school year was the first year Gen Z um, in college. So our, our team is actually actively, like I instructed our staff, you know, the beginning of school year, be on the lookout. I need to know <laughs> what the trends are. I mean, I'm on campuses I speak on maybe like 10 campuses a semester, but I mean, I, I only get a select few of people, people who really love me and people who really hate me. So it's harder for me sometimes to see what the actual middle is. Um, so um, I would say with Gen Z, we've had a lot of success with our high school outreach. And in fact, if you actually talk to our staff at Students for Life, uh, hands down, they would say they prefer working with high school students than college students. And I think it's the generation. Um, there's a little bit of a react. A, you know, a counter reaction to the snowflakes, the triggering. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see what happens to Gen Z as they head into college and the messaging they start hearing from the left. 
uh, from the abortion movement to see if, if they start shifting their opinion or if they hold strong on that. But I mean, so they're much more right. conservative than the Gen Y, the millennials. So interesting. Okay. Um, so I also wanted to talk about, um, you know, I think January ended up being a month with a lot more abortion news yeah. than most of us mm-hmm. anticipated. Uh, New York, of course, passed an egregious law that um, allows abortions, you know, basically all nine months and celebrated it yeah. with uh, making the World Trade Center pink. What did you think about that? I mean, that was beyond the pale. It was disgusting. When we... Um when we build a museum to abortion in our country, and we will, we'll build a museum honoring the 60 million plus that have died because of legal abortion uh, and remembering the, the, the tragedy of abortion. Um, I'm going to make sure that picture of the one world trade center is in that museum. I mean, it's unbelievable. If you think about what that building represents to America, the fact that the memorial there at the world trade center in New York city actually has the names of unborn pre-born children I think it's 11 or 12 pre-born children who perished that day in the attack in New York City and then to light that building up as if those children were meaningless as if they were nothing but a blob of tissue as they did they had no rights I mean it's un, it, it's unthinkable okay and then of course in Virginia we had um thankfully it's not going to pass yeah, but it was dead on arrival Right. But they were uh, pushing a Virginia delegate. Kathy Tran was pushing for a bill Mm -hmm. that she acknowledged would allow abortion while the mother was in labor. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, the Virginia governor, Ralph Northam, made some somewhat muddled comments. Uh, A former pediatrician, by the way. Right. But they seem to suggest that he uh, was open to supporting infant side, which was just incredible. What Mm -hmm. did you think of this episode? Well, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, I think what we're seeing now and some people are like, well, is this a sign that we're losing? I don't actually think it's a sign we're losing. I think it's a sign that we're winning. Uh, abortion advocates are terrified that Roe and Doe, the, the two Supreme Court decisions that legalize abortion all nine months, are going to fall. I mean, Planned Parenthood's been fundraising for them for months. Governor Cuomo there in New York said, you know, this is why they needed this legislation, because they're afraid of what's going to happen here in D.C. So I think what you're seeing is uh, Democrats in the abortion you know, lobby are doing everything they can to shore up blue states or, you know, low-hanging fruit states to make abortion legal in their states once Roe falls. Um, I think it's they're doing this because of our strength, because they know where we are. Um, and it, it's it's interesting, too. I mean, there was a study done, the Reproductive Healthcare Investors Alliance did like this SWOT analysis, uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, analysis of the abortion industry last year. And I got, it was leaked this year. And it was fascinating to read this 90-page document of where uh, the abortion industry thinks they need to go, where they're winning, where they're losing, or they think they're winning and losing. And one of the places they, they identify as a, a huge weakness for the abortion movement was state legislation because there's been so many pro-life laws passed. Uh, and so really you're seeing this this legislative term. There's all kinds of, of bills. There's in Rhode Island, Virginia, Maryland, Colorado. Um, there's one, there's a bunch in Washington state right now that our students for life groups are mobilizing against. Uh, I think this is a, this is a concerted effort to start passing pro-abortion legislation, to go back to these deep blue states and pass legislation. Um, so I, I think this is a bad calculation for them um, because ultimately they're overplaying their hand. You know, we just released a poll the week of the March for Life at Students for Life showing only 7% of millennials, the, you know, although we're aging out, we are still, we're, we're going to be the largest voting block in America. Only 7% actually agree with the Democratic National Committee's platform of abortion, of abortion in all nine months for whatever reason, taxpayer funded. Only 7%. 
Like they are the extremists on this issue. It's not us. Um, and so what they're doing is they're showing their extremism and they're actually showing the logical conclusion of their of their agenda, right? If you advocate for abortion in all nine months, why not let the baby after the baby's been born die? What's the difference? There is no difference. And actually, you know, philosophers have been arguing this for some time. Princeton Singer is, an, you know, one of those notable professors. I had to read this book in Philosophy 101 in college, and he's openly advocated for an infanticide up to two years of age. Now he he's retracted and he's now only at three months. But, oh, nice. I mean, how, how generous of him, right? But, I mean, this is the logical conclusion of their rhetoric and their movement and this is what they're really about so you know what go ahead show your hand show your hand to everybody and we're going to expose you for the extremists that you are okay and one of the other things that struck me was how much men were present in uh, these two states you know yeah. governor andrew uh, cuomo was front and center about this it's interesting if you, you can Northern. be a pro-choice man it's totally acceptable well so that's what i wanted <laughs> to ask you about you know i think especially when we get to the march for life a lot of pro-life men you know they go but they might sort of feel a little mm. bit concerned are they yeah. sending the right message you know so if you're a guy and you're pro-life how do you advocate in a sure. way that's respectful but also you know you don't have to be silent well i think you have to remember this isn't a women's issue. You hear all the time, this is a women's rights. This is not a women's rights issue. This is a human rights issue. So it doesn't matter if you're a man or if you're a woman, this is a human rights issue. The other thing you have to remember is um, arguments don't have genders. Like it doesn't matter what gender you are to argue for or against a moral evil. It doesn't matter. Uh, and so to be a man, don't be afraid to be a man. Now, I'm going to tell you what, if you're at one of my press conferences, I may not have you front and center. <laughs> I'm going to have the ladies front and center when we're countering Planned Parenthood. But we need men there. We need you to show up. And I think it sends a powerful signal to say, look at all these young men who are there are not being duped by their parents. I mean, that's what really what we see on campuses is so many young men who come to us like, you know, I agree. I agree. But, you know, you know, I, I just I'm not allowed to have a say. I'm like, just. Your mother brainwashed you. That is totally not true. You, if you create life, you are partly responsible for this life. It is, this child is half yours, right? Mm -hmm. You absolutely have a say in, in the life of your child, whether or not your child lives or dies. Okay. Well, last question. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, for our older listeners who, mm -hmm. you know, are not Gen Z or you know, younger millennials, but, you know, may have children, grandchildren, sure. nieces, nephews, et cetera. How would you recommend talking about this issue with a young adult who you either don't know their position or they're pro-abortion? I think I think you can really start with what's happened to New York and, and Virginia and ask them how they feel about this issue. Like, oh, did you see about that bill in New York that legalized abortion all nine months? I mean, how do you feel about that? I would, I would start having that conversation and use this as a way to start the conversation because, I mean, this is extremism. And it's very easy if someone says, well, you know, um, well, I guess I'm okay abortion. Oh, really? Your cousin was born at 26 weeks premature. Do you think your cousin had a right to live? Uh, it, there's so many things in your own personal life that you can bring up and stories that you can bring up. Um, so I think start with this legislation as a really great example of like, this is what they're advocating. Are you for this? Um, and find out where they stand. Oftentimes you're going to find people say, you know, I don't really, you know, I don't really support abortion. I wouldn't have one, but I wouldn't tell someone else not to have abortion. Um, my response is why the hell not? Like this is a grave moral evil. How could you know that what's inside of that mother 
is a living human being, a living human person who has rights and then not say that he or she, you won't fight for his life. You wouldn't do this with any other grave moral issue of our time. Think about slavery. Is it socially acceptable to be pro-choice on slavery? Absolutely not. It's you, No one can be pro-choice on slavery. Let us hope not. Yeah, well, yeah. I might find them every time when I'm in Portland. You know, I always find somebody <laughs> who's going to argue contrarian to something. But you can't be, right. you know, th- this is a moral issue. And you can't really be pro-choice on this. You can either be pro, pro-abortion, or you can be anti-abortion, but pick your side. And I, I often find, especially if I'm debating people on campuses or I'm trying to build a relationship with people quickly to, to debate this issue, um, put them on the spot and make them choose because no one ever wants to say that they're pro-abortion. They always want to say they're pro-choice. And I'm like, nah, that's a cop-out. You can't be pro-slavery, you know, pro-choice on slavery. You can't be pro-choice on abortion. Either you're for it or you're against it. It's a moral issue. It's not, this is a moral claim you're making. This is not a preference claim like vanilla or chocolate ice cream, which one is better. You are making a moral claim. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kristen. Thanks for having me. Want to get up to speed about the Supreme Court? Then subscribe to SCOTUS 101, a podcast about everything that's happening at the Supreme Court and what the justices are up to. In a new interview with Vogue, singer Justin Bieber and his wife, model Haley Baldwin, share why they decided to get married last year and the fact that the pair hadn't had sex in the relationship just prior to marriage. Vogue recounts that Bieber, before dating Haley again last summer, had been celibate for over a year. He thought he had, quote, a legitimate problem with sex. And Vogue writes, it was his remaining vice, an addiction that had long since ceased to provide him any pleasure. Not having sex, he decided, was a way for him to feel closer to God, end quote. Bieber also told the magazine of God, quote, he doesn't ask us not to have sex for him because he wants rules and stuff. He's like, I'm trying to protect you from hurt and pain. I think sex can cause a lot of pain. Sometimes people have sex because they don't feel good enough, because they lack self-worth. Women do that and guys do that, end quote. Rachel, when I read this, I thought about your article, I think it was from last year, about Colton Underwood, who is the star of ABC's The Bachelor um, this year, which, of course, is a show about a guy trying to find love. Mm-hmm. And he uh, was very out in public that he is a virgin, not, I believe, for any religious reasons. He, I think, says he just hasn't met the right woman yet. But you wrote about how he was being mocked for his choice. And so the first thing I thought of is, I wonder if Bieber and um, Haley Baldwin are going to get mocked as well. I wonder the same thing. This just this piece just came out today, so I'm curious to see what folks on Twitter and elsewhere are going to be saying. But what I noticed and what you mentioned with Colton Underwood is people like Colton and now uh, Justin Bieber and his wife who came out, like they're either ignored when they say this, they're like, you know, the media just doesn't even give them any attention or they're belittled as Colton Underwood was when he came out with this and people saying, well, you know, you're not actually living. Like, why would any woman want to have a relationship with you if you're not sleeping around? And I know a lot of people and even people who um, followed this said, you know, oh, I would love to date someone who hasn't been sleeping around. So it's it'll be interesting to see where this goes. But I think it's it's sad for a society that says, you know, we're so inclusive and we welcome everyone regardless of, you know, their faith or sexual orientation. When people come out with these personal details and say, hey, I'm actually choosing to live differently in society, they're mocked and belittled by the media. Right. It's interesting that, you know, when it seems like the media often casts like, say, uh, polyamorous relationships in a positive you do you kind of light, 
that often virginity, you know, is seen as a freak thing or choosing to be celibate even for a time is. I mean, I found one thing that was really interesting was, um, and this was Vogue's word, not Bieber's, but I don't know exactly what led him to decide to be celibate for over a year, but um, they use the word addiction. And I feel that our culture, you know, it's so rare that we discuss how sex can become a problem for people and mm-hmm. that maybe it's not, you know, just fun and games. Maybe sometimes it can be misused and really be something unhealthy. Mm-hmm. It can. And I think I mean, we've seen this. I mean, I know my own friends and just society in general, when people do have a lot of relationships and sometimes sexual relationships in college or high school, and sometimes that's taken into marriage and sometimes even marriages today have become very unsuccessful and divorce happens because um, a lot of times people get into these relationships and as Bieber said, like he didn't really, he wasn't taking stock of his own life. And by doing this, he's saying, you know, I want to make this more successful. And I thought it was interesting that he said he thought his celibacy brought him closer to God because some people do say that. And I just think it's interesting. He um, brought his faith into the conversation as well as Underwood didn't do that. But I think it's interesting that Bieber did. Right. Well, let's hope for more tolerance all around. That's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa Flash Briefing. Robin Rachel, we'll see you Monday. You've been listening to the Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.